Jaco, still got the party horn, still not got any sponsorship. Uh, please, if you're interested, Mr. Blue Yeti or anybody else, do get in touch. <laughs> Details at the end. Uh, hello and welcome to another of Political Yeti's Politics Podcasts. I'm James Miller. And this week I am uh, delighted to be joined by Alistair Carmichael, uh, former Secretary of State for Scotland, MP for Orkney and Shetland, Lib Dem spokesperson for Home Affairs. Indeed. Uh, and uh, one time Hammer of the Nats. Hey, I would like to think more than just one time. Are you still the Hammer of the Nats? Oh, well, that's not for me to see. You've got, got enough to be going on with there with that big long <laughs> uh, Hello. Um, and I'm also uh, joined again, or for the first time in this incarnation, but uh, joined again by Annabelle Dixon, uh, political editor for the Eastern Daily Press, and uh, fair to say the Nigel Farage of political journalism in that you are <laughs> desperately trying to get rid of your job as chair of the regional lobby, but every time you come close to getting rid of it, you somehow get dragged back to it. Is that a fair... Is that a fair uh... Uh, that, yeah, that, I think that is a fairly fair assessment. I've never been likened to Nigel Farage. I think there's only one answer. Sure when somebody compared to Nigel Farage, there's really only one answer, and it is to say, you will hear from my solicitor. <laughs> but I mean, and there's also the cigars and the fags and the borderline racism that you do. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, Let's yeah. start with... Oh, we need, need, need another jingle. I'm not lined up. Oh, no. Uh, let us start with this. There you go. There's the rapper man. You heard that before? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, that, that's our first one. You get who that rapper man is? Can you imagine I managed to get that rapper man to record that for me? That's amazing. No expense incurred. No, uh, indeed, absolutely. Um, Prime Minister's question today, I don't think it needs to delay us too long. It, was, it wasn't the worst one I've seen, but I don't think it was terribly good for it, it never really caught fire, did it? No. Um, I think Jeremy Corbyn raised good worthy topics, and a lot of which uh, you would uh, want to see discussed. You wouldn't necessarily uh, criticise him for that, but somehow or another, he just never quite manages to get traction. And I, I was thinking about this uh, just last week when he was trying to take uh, on Theresa May about this Treasury report talking about a £66 billion cost mm. for Brexit. And uh, he just was getting nowhere with it. And you, you sort of thought to yourself, you know, if Robin Cook or John Smith or Gordon Brown back in the day had had material like that, government ministers would have been hiding under the table. Somehow or another, it just doesn't seem to work for him in quite the same way. I can't remember a time when, in terms of the substance of the case that they have to prosecute, both the government and the official opposition were in quite a weak position. It's, it's a remarkable time, given the enormity of the challenges that we're facing at the moment. I don't think you want to go down the route of comparing the current front bench to the tight titans <laughs> of the last 20 years, because I think it will only make you sad, really, won't it? Um, uh, Annabelle, uh, PMQs, any standouts for you? Well, I just feel like, well, the press galleries are less gets less and less full every week. Yeah. It hasn't become the kind of... It's sort of stopped being the must-watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we all used to kind of rush in and think, you know, what what awaits us mm-hmm. in the next half hour? And I don't think people feel like that anymore, mm-hmm. um, which is which is quite sad. I know that there's been lots of, lots of kind of machinations about whether it's juvenile and mm. t- 
too rowdy, but we seem to have sort of gone in the wrong direction, I think. Because I just, I think people... It's always been juvenile, it's always been rowdy. Yeah. <coughs> I mean, basically. Yeah. I thought the only point at which Theresa May really looked flummoxed by the whole thing was when uh, she was challenged over Heathrow and, yeah. and air quality. Yeah. She really didn't have a comeback for that. Um, and uh, <laughs> clearly this is going to be an ongoing source of tension and friction between Conservative ministers and their uh, backbenchers, or, or some of their backbenchers, and uh, from the point of view of party management, uh, of its own, is it going to um, you know cause a massive problem? No, but it's yet one other small thing that really they need to manage better if they're going to keep the show on the road. Yeah, you're right. It, it was the Tory, wasn't it? The it's land Tanya of the Yeah. Um, she is, has caught the eye on a couple of occasions that she is clearly fairly independent-minded and not afraid to stand up at P&Qs mm-hmm. and hold the Prime Minister to account. Oh, shock horror, instead of yeah. just... And it was passionate as well, because yeah. mm-hmm. sometimes if Tories are challenging their own party, it's almost apologetic, isn't yes. it? Mm-hmm. Um, but with her, you know, she really went for it. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, which was quite striking. Very impressive. Is she a better MP than Vince Cable? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> not even close. Um, you know, quite apart from anything else, Vince was not just passionate on the uh, on the, the issues around the southwest of London. He was a man who could command the national stage uh, on a whole range of things, principally the economy. So uh, I think he's a, still a loss to the House of Commons. But you're right, she was she was feisty, she was in there, and, uh, you know, she put Theresa May in, on the spot in a way that certainly Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn would have done well to learn a lesson or two from. <laughs> but he never does. That's the trouble, is that he can. There are people doing a good job, and he could learn from them, but for some reason mm-hmm. he doesn't. Um, and I suppose we can't really let this PMQs go without talking about Baldrick. Uh, <laughs> that was the key word of PMQs, which just kind of shows what a bizarre business it yeah, is. Yeah, it was just a, a rare flash of, of spontaneity from Theresa May. And, you know, when she actually had a comeback. Uh, well, I think to, to point out that Tony Robinson as, as Baldrick is a... a Tony Robinson is a Labour Party member. No, but then again, Baldrick is not a great philosopher either. So, you know, look, work with me here, James. I'm not suggesting that this is is a vintage Commons performance, but in a pretty bleak week, it was probably as good as you were going to get. I was just concerned that Theresa May seemed to think that Baldrick was a real person. She's confused about (laughs) characters and actors. You know, the words are written by Ben Otten. That may concern you, but let me tell you, of all the many, many things that concern me about Theresa May, that's actually quite low down my list. (laughs) But like you say, it was was a a, a little ray of light Mm -hmm. in the uh, uh, fairly dull proceedings. Yeah, we're took us to a parallel universe, which is always good. Yes. We're sitting there listening to... (laughs) Well, yeah, the sketch writers would be delighted. Oh, here's something we can can jump on. Yeah, yeah. Um, And of course, Tony Robinson, to be fair, probably won PMQs with his tweet saying, Baldrick means Baldrick. (laughs) He he did better than anybody in the chamber. Um, Yes, now we mentioned Vince Cable and what a loss he is. Uh, he could, of course, be back, because the Lib Dem fight back is on. The Lib fight back is, is on, and it continues. It, it rolls on uh, after an absolutely stonking result in Whitney, which not many people uh, saw coming. Well, hang on, just on Whitney, let, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can say, we had a discussion a couple of weeks ago, I mean, it was off the record, but I think it's fair to say, you suggested 20% would be a good result. Mm-hmm. Was, that, so met, was, that, was that expectation management or no, was 30% really that, your surprise that how good was, result? Uh, at that stage in the campaign, mm. I thought that starting from the base of something between 6 and 7%, 
20% would have been a threefold increase. Mm. And, you know, that's got to be good in anybody's currency. What really happened, though, in that campaign, talking to those who were on the ground more often than I was, although I was out a few times, the Tory party conference really sort of was the biggest boost that the Lib Dems and Whitney could get. The uh, talk about hard Brexit and the, uh, you know, the reaction to that, uh, and also the rather, did I say, ugly rhetoric that you got from the Tories on immigration, the whole talking about creating lists of migrant workers employed by companies oh, yeah. and to publish it and the rest of it, that talk went down really badly on the doorsteps. And, you know, my uh, suspicion is that in those parts of England and the southeast of England, what you might even call Middle England, mm. um, where there is a traditional uh, sort of British sense of fairness and inclusiveness and, and you know, when you used the term earlier in relation to another politician borderline racism, <laughs> that's not my experience across the whole of the country. You know, I generally think that uh, British decency uh, is a bit more uh, common than that. Mm. And to that audience, these messages have obviously gone down very badly. Might have sounded great in the Tory party conference hall of the day, and that was what really gave us the boost mm. that I think helped us get from 20 northwards. Mm. It's a very soft vote, isn't it, in a way? In the sense that you've got, as you say, you know, the idea that it's... British sense of fair play and all the rest of it. And most people, if given those messages, will go, yes, that's me. Mm. But I think perhaps we saw from the Brexit campaign that if you present people with another vision, yeah. people will also go, yeah, do you know what? I, I buy that too. So you, it well, look, I'm not saying that I'm these values are universal thing. because no, as a, you've heard me say before, James, I'm not massively keen on ascribing values to a, a country or a people mm. as a whole. Mm -hmm. I think it's a dangerous path to go down. Mm. But... In that sort of a constituency, and remember that this was a constituency that voted to remain in the European Union, yeah. uh, these messages were not well received, and that was the thing which really <laughs> gave our campaign the impetus that, that took it on beyond where even I, to be a liberal is to be an optimist, <laughs> even I uh, had thought it might uh, finish up. Yeah, and we roll on to another Remain constituency <laughs> in <laughs> Richmond now because Zach Goldsmith has resigned over the Heathrow thing. Uh, I'm not even going to ask you, Alistair, because I know what your answer will be. Uh, can the Lib Dems win there, Annabelle? Well, I thought it was quite interesting the um, article that one of my MPs, Clive Lewis, wrote this morning saying yeah. Labour, he think, doesn't think Labour should challenge yeah. in that constituency. Um, I think that, well, it seems like that's been fairly properly slapped down, yeah. so I'm not sure how likely that is. But um, um, I think there is a sense that um, that there's a chance. But then I think by-elections are quite unpredictable, aren't they? Oh. So, you know, Zach Infamously has unpredictable. And Zach has a personal, he has a personal following, he's made it principled stand, um, well, and he can play on that. Yes. But giving the contrary view. Yeah. I don't want to bring up the phrase borderline racism again, but no. when you talk about Zach Goldsmith now, I mean, yeah. you, two yeah. years ago you didn't. Yeah. Now yeah. you go, he was sort of vaguely principled. Now and you go, well, hang on, he sold all his principles yeah. in the mayoral election by 
coming out with all sorts of filthy stuff which they did no favours whatsoever. Yeah, and which that's I the assume the Lib Dems will be trying to cash let, in on. Let that. me ignore for a second uh, your, your insistence of not asking me what I think is going to happen. I'm by no means taking it for granted because we do start from very far behind. And, uh, you know, as we've said, the, the message that he is going to put out, and it being Zach Goldsmith, let's not kid ourselves, this is going to be a very well-resourced, funded That's campaign true, yeah. here. It's Even, not going to be short yes. of money. Um, and it will not be coming from sort of uh, little old ladies baking cakes and, and giving yes. you a fiver from the profits. Um, so, you know, there is going to be a hard-fought campaign here. I think we can win it. Because uh, it, it, it will be about more than Heathrow. You know, I think now that the Tories aren't there, there have been two strategic errors here. First of all, Zach Goldsmith behaving as he has done and, and uh, you know, mm. taking this into the, 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 uh, the public forum in the way that he has done. But secondly, the Tories in saying, no, we're walking away from this, we are not going to challenge it. I think that just looks a bit like a stitch up mm-hmm. and it, it does leave the. the the stage open to an even greater element of, of unpredictability. If the Tories really think that this is the right thing to do, then they should be putting a candidate up there to, to yeah. argue their case. Whether that would work to Zach's advantage or disadvantage, it's difficult to well. predict. But, uh, you know, I, I think you've now got the two leading contenders in this contest, Zach Goldsmith and the Liberal Democrat, will both be opposed to uh, Heathrow third runway, so yeah. you can't say that this is going to be the issue of the yeah. the election because there are plenty of other things to be talking about as well. Brexit yeah. in a constituency where Zach Goldsmith for years has been europhobic mm-hmm. um, and commanded, I think, just in the region of about thirty percent of the vote in his constituency uh, voted to leave, uh, and of course the quite disgraceful campaign that he ran against Sadiq Khan last year. Mm. I think that people in, in uh, Richmond will have seen that. They will if they have haven't, they'll be reminded a, of it in the next few weeks, I suspect. have <laughs> taken a, a, a sharp intake of breath, mm-hmm. and I think he probably did himself more damage amongst his own supporters than he realised at that point. So, look, taking nothing for granted, but it is game on. Um, and there's a couple of things that come out of it. Uh, one is... Uh, it's quite comforting, in a way, to see the Lib Dem machine back in action at a by-election like they used to in the 90s. I mean, the, you know, the last five years, let's face it, the Lib Dem machine has been traduced and, you know, has just been... Yeah, it has uh, been challenged, I'll give you that. Yeah, you know, well, you know, as well, it would have been harder to get your, your mm-hmm. supporters out because you're in government and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. This is an old-fashioned Lib Dem machine, which used to be a brilliant by-election machine. I was really sure that it still like, is. Yeah, it looks like it's now coming, mm. roaring back into life. It's, mm-hmm. it's quite quite comforting and almost exciting in a way, if the Dems can be excited. What it does is, I think these by-elections, uh, it's sort of events that worked really well for mm-hmm. the Liberal Democrats. Actually, you know, Brexit for the party, ironically, has probably been a accelerated in any sort of fight but you know and and actually I think the party has been quite bold in seizing on that and obviously the Heathrow decisions an absolute gift in 
raising Tim Farron's profile. Because mm. I think, were it not for those two things, I think the wider population will probably be going, Tim who? Um, yeah. It's true of every Liberal Democrat leader, yeah. whenever they're elected, they always take time to establish themselves. They always take time to, to get traction in the political debate. And, you know, I've said this to Tim, it's no great secret. Look, you've just got to keep doing what you're doing and eventually this book will start to take hold and that indeed is, is what happened. Not much over a year since he was first elected. Mm-hmm. The point about my elections though and, and by elections of years gone by is an interesting one because yes, you, you've seen some, you know, a good result in Whitney. Um, that's not just happening in isolation though. We have one, I think, something in the region of 20 or 21 local authority by-elections yep. across the whole country with some quite spectacular swings and you have seen this massive spike in membership that we've had since May 2015 and again following the Brexit vote. I think the significance of the Brexit vote is that of all the parties in British politics, the Liberal Democrats are the party that have been consistently putting out a message saying we believe that it's important for Britain to be part of Europe, to be engaging with our European neighbours, we need to be at the heart of things, influencing things, rather than uh, carping from the sidelines. And for a lot of the country, yeah, they would probably have broadly agreed with that, but Brexit, uh, the relationship with the European Union might have been issue number 9 or 10 on their list of priorities. What happened on the 24th of June, or the 23rd of June, if that's when you count your votes, um, was that issue came shooting up people's political priorities, and that's why it has given us a relevance in, in the centre of the political debate, which uh, in our uh, current straightened circumstances we were struggling to find otherwise. Do you so, think the appointment of Keir Starmer is going to... Because sort of, you almost seized that initiative straight after the vote, but now, now yeah. Labour have got Keir Starmer, who's actually... Uh, yeah, I mean, Keir, Keir is coming, yeah. and actually I think it's good for Keir as a politician that he's yeah. now talking about something that's not law, because people will stop saying former director of public prosecutions, Keir Starmer. I like him, I rate him quite highly, but um, he is still trying to push water up a hill because he's got a leader who's always been lukewarm at best about Europe. And frankly, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn, let's not beat about the bush here, is the man who doesn't have much faith in markets of any sort. So he's never really going to engender that much enthusiasm for the case for staying within the, the, the single market. So yeah, you know, Keir will, will doubtless uh, do as much as he can, but I still think that he has the wind in his face rather than at his back in this. Should you change your name to the European Liberal Democrats? <laughs> no, we've this tried name changes before. I, I, was to a lip, I was talking to a Lib Dem uh, just um, last night who suggested this, this was on the cards, although apparently he claimed all his colleagues <laughs> laughed him down and told him where to stick it. <laughs> no, look, uh, I'm idea. sure no Liberal Democrat would ever be so, so uh, basis to do anything of that sort. <laughs> but, um, uh, look, we, uh, Europe is, is an important issue, and in many ways, as I say, it is a defining issue for mm. us. But it's not the whole of politics, and uh, liberalism is what is at the heart of our party, and that's why we have the name that we do. How far can they go on about? How far is the Lib Dem fight back going to take them? You've got a Lib Dem in your area, somehow, somehow. Norman Lamb is yeah. Norman Lamb's in my patch, and um, he—I mean, it's his personal. He's worked. He's done the classic Lib Dem, worked mm. his way up, taken on the Tories. 
Um, how far do you see the fight back? How do you see it panning out? I mean, are they going to get? Are they going to win loads of by-elections? Are they going to win seats at the election? I mean, are they going to be holding the balance of power at the next general election, or is this? I th- well, you know, is this the start of something, or is this a I false think storm? in some ways, you know, the Lib Dems could be more damaging to the Tory majority. You know, we've got to remember the Tories have a wafer for their majority, yeah. and yes, they think they can take some of those Labour seats, but that's not a given. Mm. And actually, around London, Richmond, yeah. look, what, you know, what's it, you have got a Tory government with a majority of twelve. Now, I don't know anybody who thinks that the Labour Party is going to start taking seats off the Conservatives. <laughs> you know, all the indications <laughs> are that the party will that. be in the other direction if it moves mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So I think there's a very clear message here that if you want to get the Tories out of Downing Street, then in those areas of traditional Liberal strength, in Scotland, southwest uh, of, of England, or around the, the southwest of London, other parts, of the country where people know that we've traditionally been challenging, then uh, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? The, the Lib Dems have this. <laughs> it's a two sided thing, I suppose. Having so few MPs means you've got a long way to go, you've got, you've got a long way to come back. Yeah. But you also have this situation where you can take seats off everyone. I mean, you know, you're talking about Scotland. Um, there's at least a couple of seats. Well, you've got North East and Edinburgh West where we won seats. Yeah. back from the SNP and me and the Scottish Parliament. Absolutely, you can see a way back there. You can't really see anybody else taking seats off the SNP. Well, maybe a few Tories in the North East, possibly. But um, there's certainly seats that you would seem right mm-hmm. for a Lib Dem wins at the next general election. And similarly, of course, you've got yeah. the Tories and you've got Labour and there's everybody they can, yeah. you can take seats off. Yeah. If you ask me here, do I think that uh, we will command the majority in the House of Commons after the next election. Probably unlikely. <gasps> you discount nothing in this current oh, febrile... Talking about Trudeau. Trudeau. In the, uh, yeah. in the, in the current febrile environment. Um, but, you know, is it possible that we can pull back a lot of the ground, if not most or all of it even, that we lost in May 2015? Yeah, I think it's 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 all doable. But I do need to go back to something. Uh, did you just compare Tim Farron to Justin Trudeau? There? No, I was, I, was, is that what you did I was reminding... Um, <laughs> that's what it sounded like. <laughs> no, no, it's Tim Farron that's compared himself to Trudeau. Has he? Uh, you're off I think what he did was he compared the scale of the challenge <laughs> to that which was faced by Justin Trudeau when he first became party leader. And you can see the, the, the parallels there. I was simply pointing out that you're going off message. But. Yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh <no>. Just <laughs> as well I'm not too quick. What are you going to do? Coming out of the party seems unlikely. Um, we're sort of, you know, if we can sort of, I'll try and be really smooth here and move towards my next topic, if you like. Um, but we're talking about a Remain constituency in Richmond. Mm-hmm. You, you and I know Scotland is very much yes and no, and you can sort of argue that, that there is a now a yes-no divide in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And we're now increasingly talking about Remain and Leave constituencies in England and the rest of the country. Um, how comfortable or otherwise does that make you? I, I don't think it's quite pronounced south of the border uh, as, mm-hmm. it, as the yes-no divide is and has been north of the border. Um, possibly because the sense of identity that people had with Europe 
while it surprised quite a lot of us eh, how we felt about it, the morning after was still not as strong as the sense of identity yeah. that US voters had uh, with with uh, Scotland. Um, and look, I don't, I'm not comfortable with it to be honest. Um, and uh, I don't think it's good that a country that is facing the scale of challenge that we are at the moment, um, not just because of. Brexit, but you know, we were heading into economic headwinds before that. That a country that's facing that scale of challenge should not be more united than we are. That, mm. that is worrying. Uh, and that's why it actually is incumbent on Theresa May, as the national leader, as the Prime Minister, to stop saying certain banalities like Brexit means Brexit and actually saying, here we go, this is our direction of travel, this is what we want to achieve. And that is by no means a running commentary on the negotiations, which uh, seems mm. to be our excuse for saying nothing more meaningful than, than Brexit means Brexit. And, uh, you know, even Jeremy Corbyn got a few wry smiles from his own backbenchers today, not exactly a belly laugh, when he said, um, I hope she's not going to say Brexit means Brexit yes. again. Yeah, which she did. Mm. Um, is it the, the dividing line in politics now? I mean, how your doing this more than me, Annabelle, these days. You're here every day. Yeah, but yeah. has it altered things fundamentally yeah, since June that it is absolutely. now? I mean, you said to me that the area is a Brexit area. Yeah, absolutely. And you feel like the Tories, when I'm writing about a Tory, you do characterise them as they vote, mm. they back Remain, yeah. they back Leave. Everyone writes that into their copy. Mm. And you are defined, I think, as a politician, politicians are defined by that because... Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's the topic of the moment, it's what's occupying everyone, it, it is the biggest question that's yeah. facing our officials and politicians. Mm-hmm. And um, it's still, a, still a, a dividing line within the Conservatives. Yes. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah, the remarkable thing about political commentary at the moment is that it doesn't focus more on the fact that the Tories are still split from top to toe. Yeah. Now I think the reason that that's not more apparent is that, first of all, the Leave campaign won and they were the people who were all geared up to, to fight the uh, the aftermath yes. as much as the war, but the people who felt strongly about remaining are in the Conservative Party are still there, they still feel as strongly, mm. and that is going to become apparent at some point. Yeah. And of course, you can back the position of the Labour Party, the, the Conservatives are not getting the pressure put on them by the Labour Party that would make their splits become apparent. Yeah, and why don't I bumped into one of my Tories on the train the other day, and, um, he was saying that He'd been at his constituency tea mm. party or whatever it was, and he said, you know, actually there were the both. It was supposed to be, you know, the word vocal leavers who were a cock a hoop, mm-hmm. but in quiet corners, the the businessmen yeah. in his constituency, yeah, the the quieter majority, funnily enough, right, mm-hmm. were saying, I'm worried. Mm. What what is going on? I'm worried, and and that you know that's a there's a lot more still to play in this. But, yeah. but but I don't think there's a sense that, um, I mean, certainly in my patch, my patch was very strongly Brexit, um, like most places outside London, but East Anglia was obviously, mm-hmm. was obviously sort of yeah. a, a poster region for Brexit. And, but I don't think there's a sense of, um, there's this sense of regrets it, is it? No. As it's called, no, there, I, there I, are I people don't... hopeful, that the mm. Remain is hopeful. There's certainly... I haven't seen that. I think there's a lot more still to play on, on this. And uh, it's because 
I, you know, I think that there is a need for national unity to, to face to tackle the challenges that we face. That I, I don't, for example, and certainly Tim Farm does not want my party just to speak to the forty-eight. Mm. So yes, we have to be a voice for the forty-eight, and I think it's important that there are still people in politics who say. Hey, you know what? We live in a globalised economy. We need to cooperate with our neighbours. The EU is a good thing for us politically and economically. But at the same time, I think you have to accept that there are a lot of people amongst the 52% who voted that way for good and honourable reasons, and for reasons which I politically might actually agree with. They They voted that way because they were frustrated by a political system, which puts them into a safe seat, which means their view never really matters for anything. They feel that they've been they've had difficulty getting through to the the, the elites of, of politics, and uh, you know, uh, I can uh, I can associate with the with that sort of thinking. I think it's it's well founded. We have a political system that is not fit for purpose, and that has as much to do. With Brexit as anything else. Well, that um, he's brought it back to PR and federalism. <laughs> I was say, yeah, going back to, mm. going back to 2011 again. Uh, <laughs> they are. And I was saying I was off Macy. You see, straight back. You always pull it back. <laughs> All right, um, I've kind of gone on long enough, but if we're happy to go for a few minutes more, let's mm. just briefly, uh, Annabelle. Yeah. Does the government know what they're doing on Brexit? Um, I don't think we know. Do we? Right. <laughs> I don't think that. I don't think we can tell because they won't tell us. I don't think we've got a clue. Um, I think the the know the challenges. That is pretty much apparent, and you saw the reaction and the, the value of the pound when uh, Theresa May started talking about hard Brexit. Um, so they know what uh, what they know the challenges that lie ahead. They know the pitfalls. But they also know that once they start talking about them, then that is going to make things even worse. And they don't know how to square that circle. And remember, Theresa May has played a very clever political game for the last six plus years. Um, But she's got to where she's been by staying underneath the radar. You know, never, always sort of letting it be known what she thought without ever going out and saying it uh, loud and proud herself. That's got to change now. She's in number 10 Downing Street. She's got to give a lead. And you can't just sit and wait things for things to happen. Uh, and if that's her strategy, and it's beginning to look a bit as if it is, then uh, she's going to make things worse. No, here's her strategy. This is my column in the Staggers today. Her strategy mm-hmm. is to save the union. And that's why she's going for hard Brexit. That's all she's interested in, saving the union. So she's going to have a hard Brexit that will keep Scotland in the union. This is my call. You can look for it in the staggers. But the reason I bring it up is not just to try and get more people to read it, but because of the reaction, which I think since I'm sitting here with the man who probably has been on the receiving end of mm-hmm. cybernatory more than anybody else. Is that, is that fair to oh, say? Oh, no, no. I mean, well, maybe for a time, yes, but I think Alistair Darwin, for example, and Ian Murray uh, and yeah, right, uh, well. you know, um, Jim Murphy might well have, uh, have a decent claim to that. But Luke, I think we were all in a place where, when it comes to the volumes of abuse, we all stopped counting a long time ago. Has it got better for you uh, in recent times? I mean, you had the, the court case which ended yeah. end of last year? Uh, ended last year, year, year yeah. yeah. Um, has it quietened down for you since then? Uh, yes and no. I mean, the, 
the, the sort of a real poison has drained from it, but there are still the diehards who will be out there and always will be. And frankly, um, it would only be a problem for me if I cared what they thought. Well, but yes. I really don't. <laughs> so <laughs> I was looking at the, the tweets I got this morning and laughing at them. My daughter was going, what are you laughing at? I was like, well, yeah. this person's just told me I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm an idiot. She's like, why yeah. are you laughing at that? Like, well, they're a problem, isn't it? They're sending me yeah. the tweet. Um, are you aware of any post-Brexit cyber, cyber Brexiteers as the sort of atmosphere online and not online been poisoned by this divide? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's yeah. very vocal mm. people who were vocal pre-Brexit and yeah. they're, vo- they're vocal now and they continue to trouble our letters pages and I get handwritten letters still. Oh, that's which nice. Which is quite... Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I mean, this actually, they're, they're always very... Actually, I, I have to say I don't get handwritten ab- abuse. Um, oh, okay. I think it's, you probably don't mm-hmm. get that. Um, no, this is what's new to me is that I used to write columns in the Sunday Post that got read by hundreds of thousands of people. Well, yeah. Yeah, were bought by hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know if they were actually reading my columns. Cool. I'm, I'm sure they were. I'm sure they were. Um, but they don't, I, you got no response. Yeah. I'm now yeah. writing columns for what I suspect is a far more niche audience. But yes, so much more reaction. Yeah. Mainly telling me I'm an idiot and I don't know what I'm talking about. It, and, that, and that's a that's a euphemism. That's a polite way of putting it. They're a bit more blunt than that. I oh yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. This of uh, well, that's, I had this one today that I don't know. I don't know about Danny Larue, which I thought was uh, <laughs> a, a nice uh, what do they call it? elegant variation on not having a Scooby. But yes, it's pure mm-hmm. nonsense and uh, utter guff. Excuse yeah. Scottish boy. I mean, I think the the look the parallels between the uh, the the English nationalists who were behind Brexit mm. and. You know, I, I use that term advisedly, and the Scottish nationalists, though neither of them would thank you for the, the comparison, yeah. in, in the terms of the modus operandi, is, uh, it is there for all to see, yeah. and it is uh, exclusive, um, it is all about identity politics, so your politics is no longer about what you stand for, what your ideology is, it's all about where you live or where you were born or what flag you you, mm. you, you cleave to. And it, it is visceral for that reason. Because it's not a, it's not rational in the way that ideological politics mm. is rational. It's emotional. Uh, and uh, when you challenge somebody's emotions and not just their mm. ideas, then you will get an emotional and uh, as as you as you're now learning and as I'm doing for a mm. while um, it's uh, pretty vicious sometimes. The thing that got me about the, uh, the, the, the abuse I got was that it didn't just come at me. They were going at my staff, they were mm. going at my family, they were going at my friends, and I was just left thinking, you know, it's nothing off limits for these people. But I guess if, if you think that this is the issue that transcends, to use the First Minister's word, everything else, then mm. maybe that's the attitude you take. I think you do get it on both sides. I think it's easy to characterise mm-hmm. the Brexiters, the Scottish nationalists, but I think there are, there are some equally vocal people on the remote yeah, side yeah. who, um, you know, I get emails saying, you know, how dare you give a platform to Brexit views? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I just, I think it's a kind of, it's an easy characterisation, but I think there's pa- mm-hmm. passions are high on both sides. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I, I have to say, in uh, in recent times or before before like the last couple of weeks, I did have more trouble with cyber unionists mm-hmm. than ever with cyber nazis. Yeah, they weren't yeah, necessarily yeah. rude to me, but they were 
have some wacky views and it would be rude to Nats, other Nats who retweeted yeah. my stuff. Um, so yeah I, yeah, I think that's very true that there's, um, it's uh, equal on both sides. I think we've entered an era of very tribal politics. I think we had an era where we weren't. Yeah, I think but the new tribes, I think that's the, yeah, thing. It's it's the Remain tribes. tribes or the Yes tribes. Within the Labour Party, you see the hand-to-hand combat that is between yeah. the Corbynistas yeah. who have in large measure joined the party since May 2015 and those who were in the party beforehand and yeah. who in many cases uh, had been round the same course in the mm. 1980s and the early 90s yeah. um, with the Milton Tendency and others. Yes, this yeah. is true. Yeah. Uh, they're just a crazy tribe or fighting each other instead of actually yeah. <laughs> pointing out the way. Uh, of course, the answer to tribal politics and all this sort of nastiness is um, lovely, cuddly Lib Dems. Cause yeah, absolutely. Nice. Which brings <laughs> back to the Lib Dem fight this is increasingly, why it's so important. This is increasingly like a pro-Lib Dem uh, podcast. I think, I think Lib Dem's got any money, do they? can sponsor it. I might, I might <laughs> <laughs> when I get Tim Farron on, I'll make him a proposal, uh, uh, you know, to, pro- to sponsor me. Nothing yeah. weird. Um, listen, um... <laughs> And on that bombshell, <laughs> on that bombshell, as they say, um, let's end there. Thank you to Alistair Michael and thank you to Annabelle Dixon. Pleasure. If you want to get in touch, uh, then I am politicalyeti at gmail.com or at politicalyeti on Twitter. And uh, tune in next week for another of Political Yeti's politics podcasts. Thank you.